0: Hello there, and welcome to episode nine of Claim the Stage. I can't believe it's already episode nine. Like, the time is flying. I'm Angela Lucier. I am your speaker host. Not your speaker host. I'm your host. I'm also a speaker, and I'm also an author. And the Clan the Stage podcast is a podcast for women who are creative and entrepreneurial, who want to become paid speakers, who also inspire audiences. So if that is you, you are in the right place. Today's interview is with Amber Duggar. And Amber really, really, really impressed me. She and I met in a Facebook group. Um, for women who are entrepreneurs. And I posted something in there that caught her eye. She ended up watching my TED Talks, checking out my website, found my podcast, started listening to my podcast, loved it, emailed me and said, Hey, I really like what you're doing over there. Do you think maybe you want to consider interviewing me? And I didn't know anything about her. And I said, Well, why don't you send me over some topics and we can see if it makes sense for the show. This woman sent me the most impressive pitch I have ever received. And I'm sharing it with you today because you as a speaker need to do a lot of pitching. And that doesn't mean sending a one-sentence email to a conference organizer saying, Hi, I'd like to speak at your upcoming conference. Are there any slots open? That is the worst pitch in the history of the world. And a lot of people do that. So I'm going to save you some time and also make you look like a total rock star by sharing with you what Amber emailed me that day to get me excited about having her on my show. Are you ready? Are you really ready? Are you sure you're ready? I don't know if you're ready. I think you need to put your seatbelt on and definitely a helmet. Okay, I think you're ready. Amber emailed me an outline of some of her work history that would be applicable to my audience, women who have left their job to start their own business and become speakers. She emailed me a list of 10 questions that would be applicable, you know, like, I'm not going to share them with you because we talk about them in the interview, but she wrote all the questions for me, which means she's doing my job for me and making my life much easier because now I don't have to think about them. She gave me a list of potential topics we could discuss that might be interesting, and then she sent over her bio and her headshot, which are things I always have to request from the speakers, and sometimes it takes a week or two or sometimes it happens overnight, but this is, like, this email had every single thing I needed in order to have a successful interview. So if you're thinking about pitching yourself for a a podcast, pitching yourself for a speaking gig to write a blog on someone else's website, do the work for them. Think about what they would need in order to have you follow through on your request. They probably need your bio. They probably need a link to your website. They probably need your headshot. They would probably need an outline of what you're going to talk about, things for marketing. Put yourself in their position and and make a list of the things that they would need and then do it for them. And that will dramatically increase your chances of hearing a yes. And when you pitch yourself, that's what you want, a yes. So I hope that was helpful. Amber's a rock star. I can't wait to share this interview with you. I hope you enjoy. On today's show, I'd like to welcome Amber Duggar. Amber is a money geek, a knitter. Avid cyclist, wine lover, yogi, and lover of all things green. She escaped her cubicle in July of 2015 after 15 years in soul-sucking corporate finance. She combines holistic health coach training with her extensive financial background to guide fellow entrepreneurs in gaining clarity on their money mindset and associated emotions and behaviors no more bank balance budgeting, no more sleepless nights. She brings money mindset shift techniques and practical tools to tame financial stress so that you can make space to fuel your creativity and focus on what really matters, your passion. I'm very excited to have Amber on the show today because we're going to talk all about money, how to ask for it, how to think about it differently, and how to have more in your life. So Amber, thanks so much for coming on the show.
1: I'm so excited to be here, Angela. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I have like 50,000 questions for you.
1: um,
0: (laughs) First, I wanna talk about your journey. How did you get into the entrepreneurial world from, like you say, the 15 years in the the soul-sucking corporate finance world? How did you make that leap? Because I see that you're an ESFJ, and for anyone who doesn't know, that's a Myers-Briggs personality type, and that's one of the least likely of all personality types to go into business for themselves. So tell me how this happened.
1: Yeah, so the ESFJ, what that really means is that I really love security and I love predictability. So if you talk to anyone in the entrepreneurial world, they're saying um, that is not a good combination to go into entrepreneurship because we're always wondering where the next you know paycheck is going to come from and it is definitely not a secure environment. However, neither is being in a corporate job. So it's a false sense of security and that's something that I had to learn over time and so I was in this job, I was doing everything that I thought, you know, your typical, I don't know, kid in the 90s and early 2000s was trying to do, which is do what your parents, you know, what, what would make your parents happy, or um, making my parents proud and doing the thing that I thought I was supposed to be doing. So I went to college, I went and studied abroad, and then I went back and got a job in the corporate world. And then I just sat there after my job and I was thinking, is this going to be my life? Like I'm going to go to work at eight o'clock in the morning and get home at five. And then what? You know, before in college, there was always things to do. There was, you know, things to study for. There's things to learn. And after that, I just felt like something was seriously missing, And as the years went on, I became more and more unhappy. I was doing a great job at work, I was getting promotions, I was uh, moving myself up, but it was just feeling more and more not in, it just didn't feel right for me. And I remember sitting in my cubicle, thinking this cannot be the next 30 years of my life. I just cannot sit here staring at the same financial reports in 25 years and call it a day, it just just couldn't happen. So I knew something had to change, but I didn't know what it was, and it was scary. It was really, really scary for me to think, well, how could I possibly walk away from a regular salary? Well, so I started looking into other options. I tried everything, (laughs) I tried Stampin' Up! demonstration, I love creativity, so I made lots of paper cards thinking, yes, I'm gonna get out of my corporate job doing this, I tried, I didn't even know what multi-level marketing was. And so once I found out what it was, it didn't resonate with me and my business model. So I completely um, left that. But I learned a lot. I learned how to do websites. I learned a little bit about business models and funneling. And I have a background in business and finance. So at least that was helpful. But it wasn't until 2015 that I was seriously considering going into something completely different. I thought, okay, maybe I should become a personal trainer. My boyfriend had left his engineering job and had become a personal trainer and he was very happy. And so I was looking on Instagram one morning, actually it wasn't just one morning, I remember it was January 1st, 2014. And I saw that my friend had left her library sciences job to become a personal trainer and yoga instructor. I thought, wait a second, like she's just going to leave her, she just had finished her master's degree. I thought, wow, you know, that's pretty amazing. If she can do it, why can't I do it? And I am embarrassed to say that I was a little bit jealous of what she was doing. And it was definitely a pivotal moment for me when I saw that post. So I went on to sign up for NASA's personal training certificate that same day, dropped $600, all of my Christmas money, and I started to uh, study for it. Well, five months later, I'm riding my bike back from work, and I'm just about to take my exam, and that morning, I was just still really unhappy, and my boyfriend had told me, you really need to start a gratitude journal. And so three days before this day that I was riding home, I'd started a gratitude journal, and he basically said, you need to write three things down. And I was having a lot of trouble writing things down that I was grateful for. It's terrible to say, but it was the truth. So I'm riding my bike home, and I just remember being so frustrated with work, being frustrated with my bike, and the bike fell apart going down I was going 19 miles an hour down the down the hill and I landed face first in the asphalt and the bike landed on top of me and my entire world stopped and I got up from the accident I went to the hospital 3 30 x-rays later I had nothing broken all of the impact had been on my face and a month later, I was still trying to, you know, I was recovering from this. But when I got home, I was able to say, I'm grateful to be alive. The next morning, it just flooded. I'm grateful to be able to breathe. I'm grateful to be able to see. I'm grateful to be able to walk. I'm grateful that I can eat because I have all of my teeth. I didn't lose my teeth. You know, it was just, it was just flooding in. And from that day forward, I knew my life was going to be different. I just didn't necessarily know it at the time, but looking back, that was definitely a pivotal moment for me. So over the next year, I was working from home, and I was listening to a podcast one day, because I've been an avid podcast listener for a decade. I just love them because I knit. And I um, was listening to a podcast about a girl who had been in finance, same kind of story, And she had found out about IIN, which is health coaching. And I got shivers. And I just knew right then and there that I needed to sign up for this coaching school. So over the next year while I worked, I started doing the coaching school. And then... About six months into the school, I started seeing clients, and I just had the mindset, I am doing this. This is is going to be what I'm going to do. I'm moving into a new direction, and by July, I said, see you later, and I I left the corporate world, and I remember leaving the very last day, running out of the metro station, and everyone thought I was crazy, (laughs) and I just put my arms up, and I said, I'm done, I'm done. I'm never going back, so... (laughs) That's basically what happened. It was just a really big uh, accident that then caused me to look at life very differently going forward.
0: Yeah, I find that those moments when it feels like everything's crumbling, or you know, you're in trouble, or you're hurt, or someone did something to you that made you feel bad, those are the moments where you really reevaluate what you're thinking about your life and where you're going. And as much as they kind of suck at that moment, they're actually gifts. And they're what help us to move into a direction that maybe feels more rewarding and makes us feel like we're actually doing something with our lives. And when you said that you heard a podcast of someone else telling a similar story, it made me think, wow, there's probably someone listening to this podcast right now who's saying, Hey, she's doing what I want to do. <laughs> so, Absolutely. You know, in a way, you're kind of paying it forward because this is a bit of a domino effect here, and hopefully, someone will benefit from hearing the story and say, "You know what? I think today's the day. I'm gonna, I'm gonna start doing things differently." So, thanks for sharing that story. I mean, that was so. I was getting chills throughout that whole story, just like standing here thinking, wow, like this is, this is really, this is a, this was a huge moment for you. And I know, and the fact that you shared so many of those interesting little details, I'm sure other people can relate to them and is saying, yeah, I sit at my desk and say those same things to myself every day. So thank you. That's really cool. I want to talk about after you left your job, you did something I think a lot of people dream of doing, but don't actually do. you moved to Bali. (laughs) (laughs) Can you tell me a little bit more about how that happened?
1: (laughs) Sure. (laughs) So I'll be honest, when I left my job, I didn't even know where Bali was. Um, It was definitely not on my agenda to move to Bali two months later. Um, However, this is going to start to be a pattern here with this whole podcast thing, but (laughs) I was house-sitting for a family friend um, right after I left my corporate job, and I was, you know, putting in every possible hour into my business because I thought, okay, now it's go time. I can't believe I just did this. I was a little bit in shock of what I had done in terms of leaving the, the, my, my job. And so I was doing webinars and I, was, um, I had joined a mastermind. Um, it was amazing. It was a six-month mastermind with Amanda Daly and she mentors health coaches So she's in Sydney and a lot of the women in the mastermind were also from Australia and New Zealand. So one of them that had done the mastermind previously had gone to Bali and she was just building her health coaching practice from there. So that was the first time I heard about it. Then I was listening to a podcast on the way home from from having lunch with a friend and this girl, Laura Thomas was on the podcast and She was talking about how she had just left her corporate job. She was in London and she said, I was going to a co-working space and I was taking the train in and I was just floundering. I just, I felt so lost in my business. I just, I knew that I wanted to do this, but I felt really alone. And that's one thing that a lot of people don't talk about when you go into business for yourself is that you really have to make an effort now to spend time with people on a regular basis because we do take for granted sometimes the people that we see every day in an office environment whether we like all of them or not it is a group of people that we see often so she heard about this group in bali Um, it was a co-working space called hubud and within hubud there was this accountability group called tribe wanted and it was all based on this idea of People that were going into business for themselves, wanting to still have accountability and interaction amongst peers that were in like-minded situations and, and mindset. So she heard about it and she dropped everything and said, you know what? I'm going. I'm going to go to Bali. So I'm listening to this podcast. It's like a 30-minute episode and my drive is 25 minutes long. And I had not even finished this episode when I knew I'm going. This this is just happening. I have to go. This is exactly how I feel and this sounds absolutely amazing. It was the second time I'd heard of Bali. So I get home and I rush in and I tell my boyfriend, "I'm sorry, you have to drop everything you're doing right now and you have to listen to this podcast." So about 5 minutes into it, he looks at me and he says, "You're going to Bali, aren't you?" <laughs> I said, "I think I am. I think I'm going to go." And of course I didn't make the decision right then. I had speaking engagements that I had already been had booked out, so I knew I couldn't leave for about a month. And then I was thinking of the things that I had to do in the fall and I thought am I going to just go for 3 weeks? That's crazy. It takes like almost half a week to get to Bali. I'm in Washington DC, so it's literally on the other side of the world. And so I thought it through and I just said, you know what, I need to do this. I need, this is, this is the power of now, I'm going to go. So we made the arrangements and I was supposed to go for eight weeks. That was my original plan. And it was the most amazing, life-changing experience I've ever had. And I met so many amazing people and I just kept extending my stay. And I ended up staying six months. I just got back a couple months ago and I have every intention and plan to go back as soon as possible. But I do have a dog and a boyfriend and I wasn't your typical person going to Bali where most people kind of pick up and sell all their stuff and go there. I had everything still here, so I knew I needed to come back. But yeah, that's how it happened.
0: (laughs) Well, I'm really interested in that moment when you were listening to the podcast and you heard her experience um, in Bali I think a lot of people in that moment would say, well, she has different resources, or she's obviously fearless, and I'm not that kind of person. I'm not someone who just leaves my life and goes and does this. Did did that cross your mind at all? Like, maybe, maybe I'm crazy, and maybe I'm not someone who does this?
1: Absolutely. Um, I had just said goodbye to a steady income. Now, I mean, my background's in finance, and I do... Have I'm very aware of my financial situation and and my budget, so I, of course, ran the numbers, and I had created a buffer for myself. And since, like you mentioned, I am an ESFJ, so I did have a buffer that I was working with. And I thought, okay, well, this is going to seriously shorten my ability to sustain myself if I do this. So that was one thing on one side, and then I thought of all the other things that I would be receiving and understanding and learning by going on this journey. And then I looked at the expenses for being in Bali. Now, if you weren't like me and just actually could get out of a lease or not have expenses in your home um, state or wherever you are listening, you might actually save money by going to Bali. So a lot of the entrepreneurs that I knew had done that. And so living expenses in Bali are... You can really sustain yourself on about 800 a month, but if you want to live a beautiful, rich life with really amazing food, it's about 1200 a month, which is not a lot of money. Yeah. So th- that, that's kind of what I did. I just went through a big list, and I'm the biggest analyzer in the world. <laughs> so was like going back and forth. But um, absolutely, I think it's – and that's what I, I love, is learning more about how people made that decision. On a financial standpoint, because I knew people there who had very little money to their name, and others that had a thriving businesses. So um, there's all walks of life in Bali, for sure.
0: That's that's so great. And I guess I'm I'm still wondering. So from a rational standpoint, you were able to crunch the numbers and look in front, of, look at the piece of paper in front of you, and say, "Okay, like financially, I can make this work." But On the other side, there's the emotional side of making a huge leap like that and leaving your boyfriend, leaving your home, going across the world with a bunch of strangers to a place unknown. I think that brings up a lot of fear for people. And I'm not just talking about going to Bali. I'm talking about any huge moment when you're about to make a life-changing decision. Was there something else you did to prepare yourself or to get yourself to take this leap? Or was it just, hey, the the numbers work, and I'm curious, so I'm going to go.
1: Definitely. Um, I would say the number one thing that I kept in my mind was something that I learned actually from Bikram Yoga, and they say when you go into the yoga room that you leave all your expectations at the door, and that's for any practice, and I use that a lot in business, and I use that a lot in my life, and it's really helped me tremendously to leave my expectations at the door. So I didn't have, after I did all my analysis, I threw it out the door <laughs> and I said, okay, I don't have any expectation in this. I have every ability to come back if I want to. And this was something that I just felt really deep inside me that I should do. And Another thing that helped me was actually this um, meditation course that Oprah and Deepak Chopra do every quarter. So I'm not sure if you're, if you're familiar with it. Yeah, yeah. I okay. Have. So last, last year they had one on, I don't even remember the actual um, subject, but it was on making decisions was one of the episodes. And Oprah said, you know, I used to do all the analyzing, the pros and cons, making my lists, But at the end, I always went with my gut. And I've saved a lot of time by just not doing lists and going with my gut. And she says, when you get to a point where you can really trust yourself and knowing that it's okay if you fail, that's just part of the process. But you won't know unless you try it. And so I knew in my gut that this was something I would seriously regret because I had the ability to do it and there was i had the physical ability to do it and yeah it was not the best financial decision to go if someone were to look at your numbers and say okay what should you do what shouldn't you do but i just i just decided to take the leap and and try it and it was scary it was absolutely Terrifying. I remember getting to the airport and looking at my boyfriend and going, I am super crazy. We had more (laughs) (laughs) We had more arguments the week before I left than I think we have in our entire relationship. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Poor guy. I mean, I I just thought there's just I don't know. I I can't imagine why I would want to do this. I have a beautiful home. I have a beautiful boyfriend. What am I thinking? And I get to the hotel. The first day after two and a half days of travel, and I'm looking around and I don't know anyone and I don't know where I'm going to live. And I'm thinking, yep, you are crazy. (laughs) (laughs) But it did get better. It took about four weeks to really settle in. And then by the time that I actually was leaving, it was almost the opposite was happening. I really didn't want to break the routines that I had created there.
0: Wow. I'm really glad that you shared this story because it's not just a story about going to Bali. It's a story about breaking through fear and doing things that are scary because you want to grow and you want to follow your gut and you want to take risks because you realize that that leads to growth and that leads to answering questions you may have had in the past that you maybe weren't able to answer. And I think this is a good story and a good example for everyone listening of what you should do when you get to that fork in the road and you think, well, the scary path seems, you know, unknown. It might not work out, but the easy path, the one that means maybe staying still and not doing anything, will give me the uh, known results, known results and also it will take me to a place that I'm familiar with and comfortable with. But I, I just always try to encourage people to take the path unknown because that's where you, you're able to, you know, challenge yourself and grow because of it. So I hope that that was <laughs> helpful for everyone listening. And by the way, Amber, you're one of my heroes because you're doing the thing that many people would never do. And yeah. So one of the things that you did, you started as a health coach and then you you transitioned and you started mentoring on money and money mindset. And I'm wondering what led to that transition?
1: Well, okay. So I get to Bali and I'm all guns racing. I'm like, okay, I'm going to do my health coaching practice from here. And I had a lot of clients at this time. I I had too many, to be honest with you, because I was starting to not enjoy it and that's not a good place to be and you want to be in a space with your clients where you're able to hold a space for them to really grow and realize within themselves what they need to do so i realized that i was going to have to do something differently i didn't know what it was and i was surrounded by hundreds of entrepreneurs so all of a sudden i went from an area where People are going to, you know, government contracting jobs and, um, you know, lawyer lawyer jobs and things like that. And very traditional um, mindset to being in a place where people were creating classes on all sorts of things that I won't mention. (laughs) Just it was amazing, like the, the, the depth of things that people were doing in this mindset. So I thought, huh, all right, well. This is all interesting. And I didn't really put my finger on it until I was coming time and time again to these Tribe Wanted meetings where I was with other entrepreneurs that were doing startups. And they all had lots of questions about money, pricing, mindset. And I was just, it was very easy for me to, to talk to them about it and to answer questions about it. And the more and more I was doing this, people were saying, why aren't you doing this? This is really, really helpful. And I said, oh, no, 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 not doing finance, not doing money. I will not touch that with a 10-foot pole. I sat in corporate finance for 15 years. That is never happening. And you know, you never say never. Um, And they said, well, I just wanted you to know if I'm finding this really helpful and I would love to work with you. So I started getting speaking opportunities doing that and I was working with entrepreneurs that were really struggling with charging for their services that was one of the biggest things and feeling really uncomfortable with money and feeling uncomfortable with charging for something that they've always done for free or that they feel should be offered for free because they wanted to they were very soul-based entrepreneurs and felt guilty very guilty Mm. so that's kind of how I started, um, and then it just grew from there. I, I was looking back at my B-School notebook, and before I even left my job, that was one of the, it was a second thing. Off. Um, I, don't, I, I don't know if you remember, but she has you list all these different things that you can do. And budget coaching was my second business idea. So health coaching was first and budget coaching was second. So I think just even having it written down and having a seed planted a year earlier, I think really helped push that forward.
0: Isn't that interesting when you take notes and you have all these ideas and you're like journaling and you're keeping track of all of these different possibilities and then you put those notes away for a while and then you make changes and you go back to the notes and you're doing the exact thing <laughs> you wrote about a year earlier but you don't have any re- like recollection of writing it or yes it seven. is so crazy <laughs> I have like 17 journals going at any given time um, and, too. <laughs> yeah and uh, it's so crazy because it doesn't help me in any way because I can't organize any of those thoughts because they're in 14 different places <laughs> go back and I look at it, I'm like, wow, I wrote this in 2013 and I'm doing it today. And I don't remember having this thought. It's fascinating. And I think that's definitely... an endorsement for journaling because you're able to sort of get those thoughts out and start processing them, even if it's not even consciously, but then you can start working through them. And it's kind of cool to have a, you know, a place where you're tracking that stuff and just being able to see the progress and the way you were thinking at, you know, a year or two or three in the, in the past.
1: Absolutely.
0: So, I want to transition a little bit to talk about money and speaking, because one of the questions I'm often asked about being a paid speaker is how to talk about money. So, I'm wondering, what are some tips that you would give to someone looking to improve her relationship with money, especially you know, along the lines of speaking and asking for money?
1: Sure, absolutely. That's a great question. Um, well, I would say, first of all, it all starts with within, So, if you are hearing this or listening to this and thinking, ugh, money, and having an actual physical reaction to the the topic, then that is a really good indication that you want to spend some time figuring out why that is. Now, I'm going to guess and say that pretty much everyone listening has that reaction or has had it in the past. Um, even people that have worked in this and has made this their prime business will still say that they work on their money blocks every single day. It is something that stays with us our whole life, just like fear stays with us our entire life. Um, and if you've read Big Magic, she talks about how fear is, you know, always going to be with you. If it's not there, then you're a classified crazy person. <laughs> and um, Just learning to accept that fear is there for when it's needed and when it's not. It can have a backseat and not have a voice. So I look at it the same way with our relationship with money. It will always be there, this, this resistance or this fear to ask for money. But once we learn how to break through that fear and accept that it is actually a representation of energy, money is not an actual tangible thing. It's energy that we exchange between two parties to represent either the value or the value to the person that's receiving the information. Um, and in order to continue to receive and have a sustainable business and to reach out to more and more people who could really benefit from hearing what you have to say, it's important to understand the karmic flow of money, which is accepting and receiving as well as as expanding in success and expanding in abundance. So um, I would say the first tip would be to definitely become more familiar with what your money story is. Um, There's a really great book by Kate Northrup called Money, A Love Story. And she goes through and and gives you journaling questions to um, really kind of figure out what it was in your past that may have gotten you to think of, you know, having money as either being a greedy thing, or maybe you knew someone in your past that was very stingy with money, or was very, uh, used money as power. That's a lot, a lot of times comes up for people. So it's first recognizing that, and then shifting your mindset to um, think of it in a beautiful way, that it's energy that's coming into your business, it's allowing you to expand and reach more people. So... Um, that would be the first one. And then the second one would be to have gratitude for the things that you currently have now. So if you have gratitude for the things that you have now, it changes your perspective on what you might possibly feel you need. And so that can help in terms of calling and spending on things that aren't gonna help you and your business move forward. Um, and then the third thing would be to have a positive mindset when it comes to accepting money, realizing that this is not tied to your worth. You hear that a lot, when oh get paid for what you're worth or get paid for the speaking that you're going to be giving what what you're worth. If you tie yourself to what you're worth, then you're then taking all of your own self. And I hate to use this word, but it's true. We all have it self baggage, and having it reflect in the price. Now, if you take yourself out of the situation and think of the fact that anyone that you're going to be speaking to on a subject that you know intimately well, that comes easy to you, does not necessarily mean that the people you're speaking to, it it does not necessarily come easy to them. So a lot of times when we're pricing something, we think, well, I'm not going to charge very much because I wouldn't pay this much for this because I find it easy. Well, of course you find it easy because that's what you're an expert on. But to someone whose makeup is different and who has other beautiful gifts that maybe you find difficult and they find very easy, when they receive the information that you're you're speaking about, you're transforming lives. You're making a massive impact on them and they're able to then take that knowledge and apply it and really change their life. And so to them, that's incredibly valuable. To you, it may be easy. It may have been something that you could have pulled out of your pocket and said in 15 minutes. But for them, they're receiving a lifelong experience that you're bringing to the table that they're now able to take with them and have, you know, the benefits from that. So uh, one quick example on that is Picasso. Um, You may have heard this story that he was in a park and he was painting and a woman came up to him and said, Oh, your paintings are amazing. I would love for you to do a self portrait of me. So he said, sure, no problem. So he did it in about five minutes and gave it to her and said, okay, that'll be $5,000. She said, what? It took you five minutes. You know, how could it be $5,000? He says, it may have taken me five minutes to physically paint it, but it's taken me a lifetime of experience. So that, that, does that help answer your question?
0: Yeah. Well, I guess I'm wondering if if we're not basing our pricing on worth, uh, um, on what we think it's worth, what are we basing it on? What how are we building those numbers? Because when I'm teaching my speaking school, we have a whole week that we dedicate to. Fees, like what are common fees in different fields? How much can you expect to be paid at a nonprofit for a one-hour workshop versus a four-hour workshop at a corporation or a keynote at a national conference? And so we talk a little bit about industry standards, but then we also talk about bringing your experience into those numbers. Like, what are you bringing to the table, and what, how is your message different from other people in your field, and how could that be seen as? As a different value from people who may be newer or don't have as much brand identity. And so I'm wondering if you're saying don't base your pricing on your worth, what are we basing
1: it on? That's a great question. So what you would want to price it based on is results. So. It's great that you're going through industry standards, absolutely. You don't want to come into um, a meeting and have a price so far beyond reach that people are looking at you like, yeah, right. Right, right. (laughs) I I understand it. I mean, we have to combine both practical uh, resources as well as mindfulness techniques to really get a great price. So there's a couple of things. If you think about the result that people are going to walk away from, and think of what that value is, it helps you come up with a better number for your your speech. So so let's say that it's a one-hour workshop versus a four-hour workshop. Well, instead of thinking of it in terms of time, think of it in terms of what results are you going to give the people that you're speaking to? And when you think about the result, it is what at the end of the day you're truly hoping to come into that situation and having them leave right with a result not just having sat there for an hour listening to you they want you want them to really take what you've shared with them and apply it to their life mm-hmm. and have their life improved in some way so i would say definitely look at the result versus what you personally are bringing to the table it's it's still connected right it's still your your knowledge is creating the result, but you want to take it a step further instead of just thinking of what are you personally worth? You're thinking about what is the result you're giving? What is that worth?
0: Okay, that's awesome. What would you say are the pricing mistakes you see creatives make and how can they avoid them?
1: Well, I think we kind of touched a little bit on it in this last question and it's not to charge by the hour. Um, a lot of entrepreneurs will go in charging by the hour and then they'll get stuck into this cycle of, you know, time versus money. So when you, again, when you look at the results of something and you see what are people walking away with, that helps you price it. The other thing that you want to really think about is when you're setting your price is that you want to make sure that it feels good to you and that you've practiced it. So if you are going in there already thinking there's no way that this person is going to pay this much for this speech, you're already setting yourself up for a result of them not paying for that speech. So this kind of goes into the cycle that I talk about a lot, which is your beliefs move into your thoughts, which move into your actions, which affect your behavior, and then ultimately affects your results. So if you quickly take that example, and you think there's no way that this person is going to pay this much money for my speech, that puts your thoughts into place of, well, of course, they're not going to pay. This is way too much money. Or, you know, I should just be doing this for free. So many people are speaking for free. How am I going to charge? I don't have a lot of experience. You start thinking all of these things, right? And then that then goes to your actions of, Already going in there with an affected mindset and when you actually speak to them your behavior it shows that you are not very confident in the price that you're asking for you say it in a tone that may not seem very confident it just is setting yourself up for you know not getting paid that's the result but now if you take it a step further and say okay you know what I do believe that what I have to offer provides an amazing result for the audience that I'm gonna go speak in front of. So that belief then turns your thoughts into, I feel good about this, I feel confident that even though I haven't done this speech before, or I've only done this a few times, I've seen the results. I know that this helps people. I've been doing this for years, I just haven't done it in a public setting. And so then you're thinking already, okay, I make a difference. I know I make a difference. I have the ability to really make a difference in these people's lives. So then you're already kind of building yourself up. That then will result on you reaching out to more people. You're going to be reaching out to more people because you're more confident in your price. And by reaching out to more people, there's most likely a result that you're going to have more people contacting you or responding to you. And then that behavior of them responding to you allows you to go in with a confident price set in your mind. And they see that. They see the confidence. They see the fact that you have a reason to back your price because of the results that you've been getting or the results that you believe will, will incur after the, after the speech. And then you get more speaking opportunities that are paid because you do have that confidence and you have that ability to say, yes, this does this is worth this because I am providing this result.
0: And then that mindset or that, that cycle you mentioned probably starts to become your mindset after a while of starting to realize, like, I need to walk in here prepared and confident and feeling like this is worth it and that, you know, they should, I don't know, that they should go up. Go with my rate because you 've got you 're projecting that sense of confidence
1: absolutely, and I think the one, number one thing to do is to really practice it and to cl- close your eyes for a moment and and just investigate does this price sit well with me
0: mm-hmm.
1: when you ask other entrepreneurs and other friends, do you think someone would pay this much I think that 's one of the biggest mistakes you can you can make because And people do it all the time. I've done it myself. I'm not, I'm guilty of it as well. But what happens when you ask other people, what do you think I should charge for this service? You're then taking on all of their money baggage, all of their beliefs around money. So I did an experiment and I asked 20 different health coaches, what would you pay for this particular service? And I got answers and they were honest answers between $10 and $1,000. I mean, and and everywhere in between, but it was truly what they felt. I mean, they, they were being completely honest and it was in a situation where they felt comfortable giving me a number. So I think that when you sit down, close your eyes and say, okay, what feels good to me? Envision yourself in that conversation or if it's writing an email, imagine the person reading the email and saying, do I feel good? Now, if you feel good, then add about 10% because that outside of your comfort zone, just a little bit will allow yourself to grow and to continue to increase your prices.
0: Can you repeat that cycle again? So, so that listeners can write that down if they want to have it in front of them.
1: Sure. Yeah. I actually keep it on a post-it note because it's so important for me to keep coming back to this. Um, I I catch myself a lot of the time. So your beliefs. I, I have it in a circle. So the top part is beliefs and then I have a little arrow going down to thoughts. And then thoughts with another arrow going down to actions. And then going back up behavior. And then another arrow results and then that results tying the circle back to beliefs. And I I would highly recommend that after this episode that you take a limiting belief that you have either about money or about your business or about your ability to speak in front of an audience and put yourself through both a negative belief, a limiting belief and an empowering belief and see what the ultimate result is. And it will really surprise yourself. You'll forever not forget this concept because it really does make a big difference in the ultimate result.
0: Awesome! What a great tool. All right, we're going to jump into the lightning round—the five quick questions with Amber. Awesome. Um, number one: What's the number one piece of advice you have for women who want to leave their job and do their own thing?
1: Hmm. Okay. Well, I would say the number one thing—I um, got this from Marie Forleo—is to communicate your big vision um, with those that it will affect. And make sure that everyone is on the same page because they are going to live with your big vision. And I specifically um, am speaking from my own experience with speaking to my partner, my boyfriend. Before I even thought about leaving my job, I sat down with him. And I thought it felt weird at the time. I thought, well, you know, it's not like this is actually going to happen anytime soon. (laughs) But um, I sat down with him and I said, I really do want to affect the lives of thousands of women. I want to be location independent, and I don't want to necessarily live in Washington, D.C. the rest of my life. I see myself traveling, doing public speaking. I see myself um, really not being a permanent uh, position here. Are you okay with that? And it was the best thing I could possibly have ever done before leaving my job because ever since then that has set the expectation. He had an ability to say what he wanted to say and we are now on the same page. And so when I do things like go to Bali for six months, you know, it's not as big of a shock for him because he understands that that is something that I had in my mind from the beginning.
0: Mm. Number two, do you have a personal operating philosophy? And if so, what is it?
1: Well, my operating philosophy would be to, it's a couple of things. I always put exercise and self care first. I always make sure to get that done in the morning um, because it really helps me get myself in a mindset that is just a more positive mindset. Um, after I left my job, I found myself slipping from doing that. And it was, not good. So I definitely do that. Um, Also, always keeping in mind the success graph that you may see sometimes on Instagram or on different blogs. And it's a graph that has success over time. And most people think it's just a straight line up, you know, going from the x-axis all the way up. And it's such an up and down squiggly, you know, mess. And Accepting that that is the process and knowing that when I hit a roadblock or I hit something that is just completely frustrating and I completely fail on something, I know, I remind myself right then, good job. You're doing exactly what you're supposed to do because if you weren't falling, you wouldn't be on your way to success.
0: Yes, that's great. Number three, what advice would you give to your 25-year-old self?
1: Definitely to uh, go by the words of my late grandfather, pursue the things you enjoy.
0: Mm. Number four, what advice do you have for your 75-year-old self?
1: I would say uh, to continue living in the moment and to be present in every moment. Um, Even at 75, I, I see myself being very active and still very much engaged in part of my business. I absolutely love what I do. And I would just say to really live in the moment and be very grateful to what you have.
0: Yeah, and so number five, if you had to pick one object to represent yourself, what would you pick?
1: (laughs) Okay, so... (laughs) This is my favorite question. (laughs) (laughs) Originally, I thought, oh, yellow yarn, because, you know, I love yellow yarn, and then I thought, well, how would that relate? And then I then decided, this may be controversial, but I'm going to say wine, now the reason I say wine is they have that saying, vino in veritas, or something like wine brings out truth. So I believe that my, I have values that I write down that I live by each, each morning, and they are encourage, compassion, and impact. Those are the three things that I wanna leave someone with when I have talked with them or spoken with them or you know, had any sort of interaction with them. So wine does bring out truth. So when I'm speaking to someone, I really like to get to the root issue, even if it's uncomfortable, because I know that by them accepting and understanding and being aware of that truth, it can help them move them forward. Because like they say, you can't escape prison if you don't know you're in prison. That would be the first one. Um, And then wine also gives encouragement. And since that's one of my main values, um, it can encourage you to be more open or whatever. Um, And then compassion. So you tend to have really amazing conversations if you've had a glass of wine. And so that's why I would say wine. (laughs)
0: And wine also develops flavor as it ages, right?
1: Yes, it does. Good one. Okay, that's another reason.
0: (laughs) Is there anything you'd like to share with my audience about anything, any cool promotions or events or things you have to offer that they should know about?
1: Sure, absolutely. Thanks for asking. Um, I would absolutely love to meet anyone that is um, interested in what I've had to share. I love talking to people about money and money mindset and wealth consciousness. Um, I run frequent uh, budget purpose purposeful budget challenges. And it's an awesome free five-day challenge, and it allows people to learn a little bit more about wealth consciousness and get a little bit more into understanding their own money story, as well as set themselves up um, to have a good financial foundation with practical tools for them to implement into their personal finances as well as their business finances. So having a strong financial foundation when most people want to run the other way, when they hear the word budget or finance or money, I bring kind of a fun experience and people really get a lot of you know joy out of the challenges so I will give you a sign up link for that um and yeah it's a free challenge and they run often so if I'm already in the middle of a challenge people can um sign up and they'll get on the wait list
0: oh good okay so how can they find more information about you where where are you
1: Well, I'm really original in my um, website address. It's my name, Amber Dugger, (laughs) uh, A-M-B-E-R-D-U-G-G-E-R.com. And I also run a um, Facebook group called Sweet Life Purposeful Money. And it's a free community um, that you can you know, learn more about your money story and also practical tools for that. And then my absolute favorite social platform is Instagram. So I'm on there as amber.with.love.
0: Great. Yeah, I am becoming a bigger and bigger fan of Instagram every day, like just posting those random stuff. <laughs> ever on there. But I, I don't know, it's just become so fun. So. It is fun. Yeah. <laughs> um, lastly, what does it mean to you to claim the stage?
1: To claim the stage, I would say, like when I hear that, I love the name of your podcast. I, I just imagine being up there on that stage, having the spotlight on you, and having this expansion of love, success, and abundance when you're speaking. So when you're claiming the stage, I believe that that expansion is then going into the audience and it's creating this beautiful bubble of knowledge, experience, and mindset. So I just envision this beautiful golden bubble around the stage, the audience, and you
0: wow <laughs> that sounds amazing I want to be in that bubble like right now
1: awesome. we are we are in that bubble all of your audience and us <laughs> okay yeah let's yes we are in that bubble
0: right now remember well, this has been so much fun thanks so much for sharing all of your insights and experiences and awesome advice I'm definitely going to be listening to this podcast for myself to go through and just write down all of the great advice you gave because there's a lot in here that I think you know once you hear it once it's like Oh, that's interesting. But once you start to put into practice, I'm sure that's when the changes start to take place and you start to really think differently about your money and about the choices you're making in your business.
1: Absolutely. Yes. And I'm just so thankful that you um, had me on your podcast and I'm so excited to meet your listeners. So thank you so much for having me. Yeah, you're welcome.
0: All right. That is it for episode nine of Claim the Stage. I hope you enjoyed our interview. if you're just enjoying this podcast in general, which I hope you are, because I know I am, and uh, this is going to be going on for a long time, because every time I get to interview someone, I get more and more excited about this. I hope you'll consider subscribing. Also, please rate and review my podcast so more people can find it. And the Speaker School for Women, which I founded earlier this year, is reopening its doors on September 29th. If you want to get on the list or get more information about it, go to AngelaLucier. U.S. and click on Speaking School. I am now accepting uh, early registration to get on the list to register a little later in the summer. So please email me if you want more information. And thanks so much for tuning in next episode episode 10 is a mystery episode that's because I have not (laughs) recorded it yet and I'm still thinking about how I want to do that I have a couple different formats in mind I think since it's sort of a milestone to get to episode 10 it's probably going to be mixed up and crazy and totally unexpected so I will see you there in the meantime have a great week